Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. In today's episode, Dr. Finlayson Fife was interviewed by Valerie Hamaker of the Voices About Living podcast. They discussed women's sexual health and how personal freedom impacts sex drive. We hope you enjoy this episode. It is really fun to have Jennifer here. I really owe you, Jennifer, a huge debt of gratitude. So those of you who are out there, I want to tell you a little bit why Jennifer has a special place in my heart. About maybe eight to 10 years ago, we were put into contact and she said, hey, you have a lot of common interests in this gal and she actually, I vividly remember she said, she's kind of a guru. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And um, counseling theory and sexual health. And I wonder if, you know, you probably would really benefit from getting to know her. So I called you, Jennifer. Yeah, and I do. You uh, have been, were a mentor to me all through graduate school and really helped me model the way I set up my private practice and my business and my philosophy and I mean, all sorts of things you have been really instrumental in my life. So thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So here it we seems are. like so long ago in some ways, you know, I know. <laughs> it, you know, it's interesting. It kind of was long ago. Cause I remember back when we were talking initially, you had just, you were only just maybe four years back into yeah. private practice after yeah. taking some time off with raising your children. And I was just a few years behind you, which inspired me to like, okay, yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I did something brave and I thought to myself, Jennifer did it. So it's <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Therefore, I can do it too. So, yeah. Super fun to have you here today, Jennifer. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get started by having you, if you would, would you do just a, an introduction about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah. Great. So, I, um, I practice here in, in, Chicago area. And um, I have a PhD in counseling psychology. And I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency, um, because um, I grew up LDS and was at BYU and just had a lot of questions about women's sexual development. And so that's kind of been the focus or the starting point of my work and also couples work. So I, you know, started here doing a lots of couples counseling and individual counseling, but then started doing a lot more in terms of teaching and coaching and working around issues of intimacy and relationship and personal development, which are all highly related to one another. And so that's the work that I do. And I, I really love the both sides of it, the the educational aspects of it. And I also really love the coaching work as well. So it's good. Yes, you are a beautiful teacher. And I am a recipient of many of your teachings. I, my understanding, tell me if I'm wrong on this one. Yeah, you are the guest on a lot of different podcasts. Yes, I kind of have an archive that I want to send everybody out there too. if you're interested in everything you just said, I was thinking to myself, yes, 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 sexual health, yeah. But also it goes much deeper than that. Personal development, spiritual development. Yes. Oh, just rich richness and breadth and depth is what you yeah. so beautifully articulate at. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. 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 So that's right. And I do a lot of <clears throat> being a guest, that's kind of how I've done it. But I am gonna start 
doing a podcast that's where I'm actually working, doing coaching with couples and where I'm actually kind of bringing up and doing an educational piece, but also showing people through the the coaching work principles, because I think it will allow people a different way to think about some of these ideas and apply them to their own lives, because there's only so much work I can do one-on-one. And so I'm really looking for ways to help people be able to reflect on and learn for themselves through, through some of the work I'm doing. You know, I love that. And I couldn't agree more because that's personally exactly what my podcast does is I bring my clients on Oh. And we walk through their healing journey and then other professional colleagues and I conceptualize what worked about yeah. what, why did it work out that way? And the reason why I feel it seems again, like we have some, something in common there, which is this idea that there's something very sacred about what happens in the one-on-one or the two-on-one in the case of couples. But I do have this passion to like broaden any yeah. kind of, you know, healing capacity that I have. And with in this day and age with podcasting and things like that, there is a way to reach, you know, a larger audience of people who have yeah. those very same needs as some of these individual couples that come into yeah. offices. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So what Jennifer and I have planned today is we're going to work through a case that is, I think, very, very interesting and something that I am personally working through with one of my couples that I'm working with. So I'm going to go ahead and just read a little bit of a synopsis for those of you out there so that you can hear kind of what's been going on in this case that I have been working through. And then Jennifer and I are just going to actually just kind of have a conversation about it. And I'd love to hear your concepts, your thoughts, your feelings, Mm -hmm. and we'll just kind of go from there. How does that sound? Perfect. Okay, here we go. Well, obviously all the names have been changed and some qualifying (laughs) facts. Just had to throw that out there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Angela is a young married heterosexual female with two small children, and she is also a former world champion gymnast. She initially presented to me with intense fears about being sexual with her husband, and we have spent over a year working through this. Initially, she felt that it had to do with the traumatic C-section delivery where she felt assaulted by the medical team. We worked through this extensively, and she felt that this trauma was resolved. We also did some marriage counseling, working through some past issues around safety in the relationship that she had with her husband because of alcohol use, which she also felt had resolved. And incidentally, at the time of her presentation, her husband had not used alcohol for many years. Mm. I went from working with her individually to couples counseling, and it became very clear to me from very early on that they actually have a very amicable, loving, kind relationship and really care a lot about each other. And it doesn't seem like there really was anything that was sort of eminently troubling in Mm -hmm. the turnout of their relationship, independent of these different traumas. However, through all of this work that we've done, Angela still continues to feel paralyzed about being sexual with her husband. As a seemingly unrelated aside, she has come to realize that her gymnastics career has been a major source of psychological trauma due to a very emotionally abusive coach. In a recent breakthrough session, Angela realized that she had compromised her body physically in the training and competition when she basically she was in a lot of pain over and over again Mm. and basically pushed through this pain to do what it took to become the athlete that she became. And also that emotionally she learned how to basically shove down all of her feelings that she Mm. was having because of the consequences of you know, kind of being a baby, there were 
10 or 15 or 20 girls in line behind her that would take her spot on the team if she mm. had any kind of an emotion around the pain that she was feeling. Oh my goodness. And she came to realize that it's very likely, or we kind of together realized that perhaps going out of her comfort zone sexually is, is being evoked by unresolved trauma from her career as an athlete. And we're talking anything that is sexual at all in nature feels too much for her to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we stand. What are your thoughts? Okay, good. And, and, and when you said she felt assaulted uh, in the C-section, n- not sexually assaulted, or do you mean sexually assaulted? It was an emergency C-section that happened so quickly, and it, they were not, there was not, she didn't feel it was sexual assault. It was more that they were so rough on her, and she was not sedated, mm. and it was a stranger. The team, the, it was a mm. team of strangers. There was just a variety of things that happened that basically confused the trauma with the sexual parts of her body. Mm. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, just as a little qualifier, just because I'm, I'm just, we're using this as a way to kind of think about the themes rather than I'm speaking specifically to this case, just because I don't feel like I know enough to be treated as a kind of expert on it. But so I'll tell you some of the things that are standing out to me as I'm thinking about it, which is, you know, people want to belong to themselves more than they want to be sexual. This is an idea of David Schnarch's that has been a powerful paradigm for me to think about. So as much as we like sex or sexual pleasure or closeness with another person, if we feel like it interferes with our belonging to our own sense of self and safety and kind of what's the way I'd say it, but like kind of belonging to your own person, Yep. you're going to prioritize that over any sexual pleasure right. or closeness. The other thing is, is that eroticism or sexual pleasure is very, when somebody's passionate or desirous or whatever, it's very much linked to the experience of freedom. Yes. Not to, I should, I really should do this because my husband's upset. Anything like that is linked to duty. It's linked to work. And sexuality thrives in freedom and play. Right. Like the eroticism completely disappears when someone's volition is taken away. Uh, exactly right. And so your your body might even respond because arousal, physiological arousal is separate from psychological arousal. So some people, even in trauma or abuse, may actually physiologically, their body may respond, which can confuse them because then they wonder, did I want the abuse in some level or something like that? And that's just independent. But yes, so passion is connected to freedom and play. And that's why a lot of people have passion when they're dating because there's freedom in it. I'm choosing this person. I want to be with this person. Being with him or her makes me feel good. So then their their Eros energy is very uh, much alive. Um, And when they get married, then if it shifts now to I should, well, then it all goes down the tubes because now it's a job. And so the thing I'm wondering about with her is, well, she also talks about the trauma of these years of, of intense training. And what I'm often thinking about is what are the meanings that people are operating within? And especially if those are traumatic meanings, that is to say they're watching somebody 
interpersonal trauma, it gets really hardwired in, in a way that can be really hard to shake in a rational way, meaning that to kind of think your way out of it is hard. So there's a meaning that was operating in her life, I'm imagining, that that her parents, that her coach were complicit in a betrayal of her well-being, of her of the issues of her comfort, of her own desires. Yeah. I mean, she may have well wanted this gymnastics career, but she also was kind of doing it under I'm imagining under some duress of like it's what she should be, that her family's proud of her, that the coach wants it. And so there's this way in which what she thinks and feels does not matter. It and it's it, and she's sort of there to be used in a sense. That's the meaning that kind of jumps out at me in it. Let me just jump in and offer to you, yes, my validation that she basically had given up her body to this years-long yes. project yes. of becoming, you know, an elite athlete is yes. really a pervasive theme in this. And I think the other thing that has been the most traumatic of all is it was done outside of her own awareness. She thought she wanted it. She thought mm. that it was her hopes, dreams, and desires, and wishes. And she was such a little girl when it all began that she didn't have the eyes to see the layer upon layer upon layer of autonomy and choice and even the capacity for her to feel her own feelings and mm-hmm. be able to experience the pain. And, you know, I mean, she's a little kid, mm-hmm. right? Sure. If when somebody says, I don't really care that your lower back is an intense pain, get up on the beam. You see what I'm saying? Like the disconnect and the depth of the disconnect over the years was, was intense. And as we did this therapy, it was almost, it was painful for me as a therapist to watch because she didn't, she didn't know that that was Mm. unusual. And it's Mm. almost like it kind of just sort of came crashing in upon her. And um, Mm -hmm. it frightened her that she lived in such a low uh, degree of awareness Mm. for so many years. Yeah. And just how normalized, like you really don't know. I mean, kids who grow up in abusive situations and that's the only reality that they know. It's very, it's just so normal and yet still traumatic and impairing but just even waking up to it is its own valuable process, uh, even though painful. Excruciating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. She came in for one thing and she walks out a few months later going, I had no idea my entire life was not what I thought it was. Right. And so, you know, what I would be wanting to get at, because what I would be sort of hypothesizing is, well, first of all, she has this this piece you're talking about, which is this kind of disconnect from her desires and disconnect from her body in order to belong, belong to her family, belong to an identity, belong to yes. um, some status. And so it's like self-betrayal gets sort of hardwired in. I don't mean literally hardwired because... I get it. Yeah, but it gets really kind of, you know, yeah. concretized into her mind. Yes. And so I would be thinking about that piece. And then also, how is she in her marriage? Because marriages can be very amicable and friendly. Um, and it might just be that she feels some freedom and meaningful freedom in her marriage, but she hasn't yet resolved her relationship to her own body and her own desires. And or it could be that the marriage is polite, but more stifling or suffocating mm-hmm. than meets the eye. And, and that's another piece we can kind of think about in a minute. But the thing I would be thinking about is what does she need to be free in her life? What does she need to do or develop 
that she really can feel that she can lay claim to her sense of herself, yeah. re- reintegrate her body, reintegrate her desires, yes. reintegrate her, how to say it, her kind of investment in herself because what she was learning to do, and I think, you know, the system was complicit in it. Precisely. Was to put what she wanted as a, as a deep second. And so she maybe convinced herself she did want it. Yes. But it wasn't being driven by her. It would be a very different thing if a 10-year-old is saying, I want nothing more than to be a gymnast and I want to do this. Even, even if you go through some pain, it's still like, this is coming from me. Yeah. And, you know, she just wasn't going to be developmentally in a place to be able to do that yet, you know. Yes. Right. Both of these experiences, of course, are deeply embodied. Yes. One's sexual expression and one's capacity to sort of perform, as it were in the professional realm and having had no agency whatsoever for many, many years. And then to come to a space where that's the thing. I mean, even as a therapist, it clicked just recently where I'm like, of course the pendulum has swung all the way over here. And finally she's planting her flag of freedom in this place where she's saying, I need freedom and autonomy and nobody can tell me what to do no matter how, you know, yeah, that's right. And lots of sexual abuse survivors do exactly that. It's like the abuse was around their sexuality and the way they're staking their claim to freedom is to dis- to, to distance themselves yeah. from their body, from the scene of the crime, from their sexuality. And you see why somebody would do that. I mean, it right. makes perfect sense. Like I want to get as far away from the very thing that has entrapped me. It's more of a connection there, like almost like more of a literal connection. You can see it a little bit more easily in that case. Yeah. Right, exactly, where this is a little more nuanced. But I think that the thing that you that might, just like with many people who survive sexual assault, is that the reclaiming of their embodiment, the reclaiming of their sexuality, the, the reclaiming, in her case, of her desires yes. and her embodiment as her own, is that's a way to assert a self, is to say, this always belonged to me, and I have not been given permission to claim my desires to claim my embodiment to care for my body yeah right and so because i think if she can psychologically own it as something she wants to reestablish mm-hmm. that she wants to heal as a way of belonging more deeply to herself not to get her husband to not be upset anymore, not because wives should have sex, like none of those things. Those right. are all back in the old model. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But that yeah. she wants this for herself. She wants this for her own strength because as women, the more we are kind of um, dis- disconnected from our embodiment, from our sexuality, from our desires, the weaker we are. Yeah. And so... I understand why some people want to sort of drive that divide because it's been how they've been hurt. Sure. But the re-envisioning of it is that, no, I need my strength. I want to be at peace in this body of mine that put up with a lot of, of garbage that like that I, in the name of trying to belong to the people that were around me, traumatized this body and did too much to it. And I want to make it right. And I want to be at peace with this. And if she wants it, um, and she may have to work through some of those meanings around whether or not she does want it, but if she wants it, to reestablish 
um, relationship to her sexuality and her embodiment. But I think the most important piece in this is for her, excuse me, is for her to be psychologically freer than she probably currently is because there's not just the training and the trauma that was specific to that and not just the traumatic event of the birth, but what I imagine is the whole relational context in which that made sense for the family she grew up in. Wow. Can you say more about that? I'm well, because, again, I don't know enough to say this clearly, but I, but what I wonder about is, is a family that's going to kind of promote and push and support that level of training that is a big demand on a kid. I'm, I don't think that most, you know, Olympians are psychologically in a good spot. Well, because the, the frame around the, the frame that motivated the entire system to put that much that's into right. a child. That's right. What's, what's driving that? I think is exactly, exactly. That's the question. Yes. Because is it the parents? Is it the kid, the child's dream? That's a different idea. If it's right. the parents want the status of it, this kid's a dream kid. They're going to make us look good. We're going to sacrifice everything. Think about the pressure on that kid. You know, right. I, I've worked with people where the parents like literally put a second mortgage on the house so the child could train in a very specific reality. And it, it's just, you know, there's enormous pressure on that kid to manage the dreams and the desires, not just of their own, but of the parents and the coach and the team and the, everything. Wow. And there's just like, there's no room for them to belong to their own development. Well, and it sounds like in some cases, and again, who knows, right? But I'm just looking at this from like a large, like stepping back a bit and just saying to myself, okay, situations of this nature, when a child is, it's almost like their, their desires are educated from such a developmentally young age that they don't really have a voice. And then they co-opt the voice because of course there are some pretty palpable payoffs. You know, you get a lot of attention, you get a lot of time. There's all sorts of you know, these extrinsic awards that come to you. I mean, who wouldn't want that, especially as a child? Absolutely. And so the struggle from what you're saying to me is nested in a lot of context that yes. is probably invisible to the eye. That is exactly right. And that she mapped really early because were they parents that could handle her saying, mom, I'm in pain and have mom respond, yeah. right? Meaning because either she mapped that she couldn't, the mom couldn't handle it or wouldn't handle it or that mom was too fragile to question whether or not she should stay on the team. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So there's a whole meaning context in which she's just swallowing and taking this on. And so she's probably anticipates that same reality in her current relationships. How much room is there for me to be who I am and belong to my own life? Well, that's interesting because she didn't ever tell mom mm. about any of her pain. Now, mm. and even that is an interesting question, yes, right? Yes, definitely. It in is. our processing, she really is very gracious and graceful to mom and dad who she claims had no idea the entire time through her entire childhood and adolescence had no idea, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Maybe it's curious. Yes, exactly. Because then, then, then it's an important question of why, why didn't they know? Why didn't you tell them? Not in an accusing way, obviously, no, but no, like, <laughs> but, but, but exactly. But what was the meaning that you gave to the possibility of telling them? Right. What did you think might happen? Yep. Did you think it might hurt them in some way? I imagine she did. Yes. It they're, hurt their dreams. They'd mm-hmm. spent so much money. Who knows all the reasons, but that she felt like she had to protect them from this reality about herself. 
And so she had to metabolize and hold in all of this, both emotional and physiological pain that became yes. unbearable. that's now showing up right now where she's planting her flag with her partner and saying, I didn't do it then. And so I'm going to make up the difference for it now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and another piece in that, I don't trust that my needs will really be met in relationships. So why would I even really open up? It's easier, just even instinctively to have no desire. Yep. Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Desire is looking for freedom. Desire is not looking for shoulds and fear and where, you know, I'm going to have to now manage. Yeah. So she has no trust that relationships can meaningfully respond to her. Yep she may be even managing her husband in some ways. Like what, what I mean by that is it sounds like there's been some progress there. He stopped drinking. It sounds like there probably was some kind of shift in which her desires were addressed. If she was the impetus for it, do you know what made him stop drinking? Yeah, she left. She left. Okay, good. So that's actually positive in the sense that she's standing up and saying, this is more than I can give. And he said, okay. And he, Mm -hmm. and, and that was about five years ago. Great. That's, that's good. It's a, that's a meaningful reality for her, but she may at the more subtle level, and I'm not saying this is the only thing, but she may not yet trust that he's a man that's going to, it could be going two ways. She doesn't trust people to attend to her needs yeah, and, or he's not somebody who's responsive enough to her mm-hmm. for her to want to be, or able to negotiate a relational reality in which she can really create meaningful sexual experiences. The question that emerges for her, even to him in the moment is, can you wait for me? Will you be okay for me to allow this part of me to resolve? Mm. And, you know, he continues to reassure her, but I mean, I'm really looking at what you were saying a minute ago about this idea that she was silenced Mm -hmm. for so many years from, from, from authority figures or from people that, you know, where there were going to be palpable consequences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question that I think comes up for me is, would you negotiate the, well, let me just ask you this, Jennifer, mm-hmm. what direction do you go at, at this point? Well, I, I would be looking, so first of all, I think couples paradigm in a couple's framing is a good way to be doing this work right now, because I think she's trying to figure out how to be free in relationship. Yeah. And she hasn't yet learned how to do that. And she yeah. needs to. The hap- most happily married people and the people with the best sexual relationships have a meaningful freedom within the context of a committed partnership. Right. And so I would really be looking at between the two of them, how free is this? Because it could be a very polite marriage, which is different. And, and it sounds like it probably is. And she probably knows how to be polite. Meaning with her parents, the fact that it wasn't brought up means there's a lot of sort of stepping back from things instinctively for her showing up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it looks kind of better than it is Mm -hmm. meeting. It's there's lower conflict than there is peace and freedom. Sort of a low contact, but low intimacy kind of experience, even on the emotional level, since sex isn't sort of on the table right now. Yes, exactly. So sex isn't on the table. Exactly. Because she's probably organized it that way that that feels safer for her. But I would be looking at, you know, the amount of intimacy, meaning freedom, openness, open-mindedness, open-heartedness between the two of them and the ways that they are somewhat complicit in a less than honest marriage. Yes. And I work with a lot of people like that. They're very polite. They don't fight. I mean, 
you know what I mean? But, but it's not very honest. They mask too much right. to avoid conflict, yep. but then they don't have the kind of friction yeah. to create a meaningful space for two. Right. That they don't feel the safety to be in that sort of dynamic, which is, you know, the, like oftentimes I say, you know, there can be a lot of um, stable marriages that yes. you know, lack all sorts of intimacy. They're not very dynamic. They don't grow. They don't thrive. They'll stay married forever. Yes, that's not, right. Yeah. And I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so I would be thinking about how is that breaking down? Is she overly editing and more than he needs? Does he pressure her subtly by the things she does say that he doesn't take them up, doesn't think about them, doesn't invest in what she needs? It sounds like this couple has it in them to make adjustments because they made a pretty massive one five years ago. They probably just need to kind of have help having it revealed to them the way that they continue to be complicit. In a kind of lower intimacy marriage. Do I direct this around sexuality itself or do I? I'd put sec- sex second right now because mm-hmm. the sex matters and all that, but it's a secondary issue. What she really needs is yes. to be free and then she'll, then sexuality will come with it. I, so, yes. yeah. And I would be thinking it's, it's not just in, oh, he's a pressuring guy. I mean, that could be a part of it, but I think what's also probably uh, operating is that she self edits mm-hmm. and she wants other people's because she's normal and developmentally this is so typical for so many of us she's looking for doing and being the kind of person that other people say she should be yep but because that's too much alive in her psychologically still she feels much too constricted in her life i don't know if she has a religious upbringing or not but sometimes there's these sort of mores and ideas about who you're supposed to be sexually who you're supposed to be emotionally and that, therefore, that you know, restricts freedom, right? Much more than often is meets the eye. It's 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 so embedded that you don't even see it. That's the right. Air that you breathe, and so what what you're speaking to, I think, is to sort of put sex as a secondary, almost like a, a symptom that we're seeing, yes. but exactly. it's not really the problem per se. That's the right. Pro- the problem is one of taking ownership of oneself. That's right. And being able to experience personal freedom because this trauma hasn't been resolved and it's playing out in the sexual realm, but it's also probably playing out in other areas too, that when those become resolved, sex will come. Yes, exactly. Especially if she wants to reintegrate with her body, if she wants to become better friends again with her body, because there's also that division and in some ways, her body knows it. Like the body knows how you think about it. Oh, <laughs> sure. I'm sort of personifying the body, but there's something to it. It's like when you sort of betray it and neglect it and distance from it, it kind of, it, 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 you're in a less peaceful relationship with it. And so there's yeah. strength there for her that I think she needs. I love that. Well, it's what she's trying. I think that's what's kind of going on here. Is there some, something deep, deep and autonomous within her Yes. Trying to assert itself. Yes. Even though the paradigm is different. She's trying to finish some some unfinished business here. This episode was part one of a two-part series done by the Voices About Living podcast. Part two will be posted next month. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, 
Check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.